So a few weeks after I moved to California, I got a message from a gentleman named Chris Hurst on Facebook. Uh, I'd never met Chris before, but he sent me a message and said, Hey, Austin, started doing some endurance racing with Chump Car recently and have somehow lucked into a team with a couple very important people in racing history. One of them happens to be John Morton. So that obviously kind of piqued my interest, and I uh, got to talking to Chris, and he said that John had actually invited me and Adam over, uh, along with Chris, to record a show. Unfortunately, with scheduling, Adam couldn't uh, make it out here to L.A. to be able to record it, and I know it really tears him up. Wish he would have been here, buddy, but uh, the show must go on when we can fit things in. So anyways, we're going to split this into two parts. We'll release part one today, obviously. Part two will be next Tuesday. And while we're talking about dates, uh, come have a date with Adam and I, if you're coming to the PRI trade show. We'll be at Acapulco Joe's Friday, December 9th at 6.30 p.m. Just hanging out, talking to listeners, having some dinner, having some good times, maybe recording a show or two. But if you're in town for PRI or planning on being in town, go ahead and come on by. Not sure how many people they'll be able to accommodate. I told them I don't know how many we're expecting, but they're going to leave the back open for us uh, from about 6.30 to 7. At 7 o'clock, they'll start seating other people in the back. So if you want a spot to come hang out, please show up between 6.30 and 7, and uh, we'll have a good time. So without further ado, we'll go ahead and get this interview with John Morton and Chris Hurst started. At a certain point, we're also joined by author Sylvia Wilkinson, uh, who is actually John's girlfriend uh, and a very, very interesting woman in her own right, as you'll hear. So we hope you guys enjoy. Show. I'm Austin Cabot, and today I'm in Hi. El Segundo, California, with legendary racing driver John Morton and Chris Hurst. What's going on, guys? Just hanging out. Nothing. Just a uh, nice Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, it's very nice, actually. So thanks so much for having uh, having Chris and I over. Oh, it's, it's our pleasure. Um, keeps us from having to do any work. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so, yeah, you were telling me you've actually lived in this area for uh, for quite some time. I moved out here to California in 1962 to go to Carroll Shelby's Racing School. Okay. From Illinois, and I a never went. A little bit of a change. Yeah, it's a bit. Well, I just meant to stay for five days for the school for <laughs> a week, and uh, as it turns out, I stayed longer. I'm still here, uh, so it, that changed uh, my life a lot. Um, not California so much, just uh, getting involved with with racing and. And uh, I came out to do that. I came out to work to uh, just to go to the Shelby School, and uh, ask for a job. And he gave me a job, so I worked there for about three years. Oh, cool! So, what uh, what was the motivation to come out here and and go to the racing school? Well, I I wanted to race, mm -hmm. and uh, I wasn't quite old enough. You had to be twenty one then. But I had I I came out here because I'd written to two schools in England, and one was out of business, and the other one didn't answer. <laughs> so I wrote to Shelby, or I, and uh, I wrote to Sh the Shelby School, and I, I got an answer, so I had an appointment. So I, that's why I'm here. That's why I 
came out. Okay. Where was the school located back then? <laughs> Riverside, California. Riverside? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and interestingly enough, the car I went to school, this is before, if you, you probably don't know too much, you're too young to know all the Shelby history, but the first race they ran was October 1962, the first time a Corvette, a, a Cobra ever raced. Okay. It's also the first time a, a Stingray ever raced. Huh. A Stingray had just come out. Uh, but I went through the school about three weeks before that race, and I went out. Went, my school car was the prototype Cobra, the very first one built. Um, the race was run in the second car that was built, which was built as a race car, um, and that's kind of how I how I started. So you, you learned to drive in the first ever Shelby Cobra. Yeah, it was a <laughs> it was a car. That they had put out to pasture because it, it it was a little different from all of the ensuing cars, but it was the first car. It was called CSX 2000, and they then there was 2001 and on up to till they had built about built about 700 of the 289, 260, 289s. But the one that I went to school and had done the magazine stuff, it'd been on the cover of Road and Track and. Uh, uh, car and driver, I think sports car dra- graphic. It had mm-hmm. done all of the the sports car promotional stuff, and it was kind of worn out. So they gave it to me. They that became my school car. Okay. It was really not a very good car. Um, didn't handle very good. It uh, overheated. I think it had a blown head gasket by the end <laughs> of the school. It sold. Um, it sold in August in Monterey for twelve and a half million dollars. Oh man! Wow. <laughs> Were you there when it sold? I was there, but I wasn't at the auction. Okay. I was in Monterey, but no, I wasn't at the auction. The, the Shelby owned it its entire life, and then when he passed away, his so his foundation owned it, and I think they thought, you know, we got an awful lot of money sitting here that could that we could do something with. So they finally put it up to, to bid. And uh, the Miller, Miller Motorsports Park, have you heard of that? Yeah, out in Utah? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the Miller family bought it. Okay. Larry, Larry Miller, the, the, really the reason that track existed, exists, passed away. But his son bought the car because they've got a museum of very historic uh, Ford stuff. Huh. GT40s, Mark IIs, Mark... I think they have a Mark IV. They have a real Cobra Coupe, and so now they have the first car. Wow! So you're saying that that car was kind of a, a mess. Was it, you know, obviously pretty pretty hard to drive too? Uh, how did that? Uh, was that the first time you'd ever turned a wheel on a track? Was in a car that was was kind of hard to drive like that? Well, the first time I, I actually, when I was in high school, I I. Uh, I was able to sneak on a couple of racetracks after I'd watched the races. Oh, yeah? Uh, did a few laps at Elkhart Lake, and uh, they had a thing at Meadowdale, which was a beautiful track outside of Chicago. Um, and I, went, I did drive some laps on that track, and also a little track in, uh, on the Wisconsin-Illinois uh, border called Wilmot. But uh, they weren't officials. They were kind of a sneak on the track. Yeah. Sort of a f- affair. So it was the first time I'd driven a car that was really sort of fast. Okay. 
And it didn't handle very well, but, you know, how would I know? <laughs> yeah, right? It's like, man, this raisin stuff's a little harder than I thought. Yeah. Yeah, no, I did well. My my instructor was Peter Brock. Oh, wow. It's not a uh, not a bad instructor to have. Yeah, but I wanted Shelby. That's what I thought I was paying for, and end up with a guy I'd never heard of. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean that's got to be that's got to be pretty funny now looking back though, right? It is. It it makes for good, uh, you know, speech material. Yeah. When I <laughs> when I have to talk to to people. Yeah. In a sort of a semi-public setting. So was that the first time you'd ever met Peter Brock or heard of him? Yeah, I never heard of him. He was just a guy. I was at the track because uh, I I drove out here from Illinois and I went to the track right away. And the guy rode up to rode up to me in a, on a Honda Fifty, I think, okay. motorcycle, and he said, asked what I was doing, and I said, well, I'm going to go to the school, and my my name, and he said, Well, I'm Peter. My name's Peter Brock, and I'm going to be your instructor. And I said, Where's Carol Shelby? <laughs> I thought this was a one-on-one with Carol Shelby. <laughs> Why did I get screwed? <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I'd never heard of him, and that was the first time I. I'd seen him. Okay. And obviously kept in contact with him uh, after that. Well, we wor- both worked at Shelby's. Okay. But we weren't close. We weren't like good friends or anything. I had, I had those five days with him. And then he was, you know, working at Shelby's doing odd jobs. And I was, you know, I was a janitor, parts chaser. Yeah. Kind of a, a beginner. And... um so our paths crossed almost every day, but we weren't close friends. Okay. And then uh, years later, he hired me to be involved with his Datsun team, and I right. became his driver. Okay. Now, is there anything distinct that you can remember him doing or saying when you were at the school that just kind of stuck out in, in your mind? You know, he said a lot of things that I suppose uh, a, a couple things that stick in my mind. Um, I remember him telling me at that time that that he was going to be a race car driver too, and he had raced. He he had a race car. He had a couple of race cars. He'd had a Cooper, um, and he'd had a Lotus Eleven. So his goal was to drive for Shelby, not to teach school or right. design race cars, which ultimately designed the Cobra Coupe, which is an iconic car. But that wasn't his goal. His goal was to be a race car driver, and. It, and uh, I think he realized he was not too old to do it, but he was getting older. He's, uh, let's say he's going to be 80. So this was, uh, and I was, I was, uh, so he's six years older than I am. Okay. Um, five and a half anyway. And um, I think he thought it was time for him to start having some success. Uh, so I always... I had a slight feeling that he was in competition with anybody that might get involved with Shelby as right. a driver. And that's not why I went to Shelby. I just wanted a job. I ended up driving for the team in some races in 1964. But um, Peter Peter told me, I think because he thought he was getting a little old already, that Phil Hill told him it took seven years of racing before you ever made it. Wow. And I never forgot that because the irony is when Peter hired me to dr- ultimately to drive the, on the Dotson team, it was seven years really? since I had started. 
and then it, I'm not saying that has anything to do with 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 any rule or yeah, any or any funny uh, coincidence. Though. Just a coincidence. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty. Uh, that's actually really funny. I didn't. I wouldn't have expected that. But now it doesn't take seven years. If <laughs> if it took seven years, you'd you'd be way past your peak because you started eight. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which coincidentally, there's a lot of kids now that uh, that are getting their start. Oh, they are. They start at eight years old. I think that's how old you have to be to race carts. Okay. At some at a at a significant level. Right. And then third fastest qualifier today at in the Brazilian Grand Prix, eighteen years old. Yeah. So you know. No, I was actually I was out at, at Buttonwillow yesterday, like I was telling you before, um, for a time attack event. But there was uh, a young a young fourteen year old kid out there in a Lamborghini uh, Trofeo Cup car. Just you mean a young rich killing kid. it. Yeah. <laughs> Steven something. I forget his last name, but it said Steven Racing. Is he, is he from yeah. Bakersfield? Um, I don't remember, but they have a, a big, like, uh, their hauler, race hauler, is black with a Lamborghini, silver Lamborghini on the side. Oh, a Lamborghini. I'm thinking of yeah. a McLaren. Okay. Yeah. Well, his um, dad his dad has a McLaren that was also in the, the hauler. Yeah, he's a rich wow. kid. But, but <laughs> he, he was out there. He be a rich kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But he was out there just banging off super consistent laps. Like yeah. Button Willow, CCW yeah. 13 was doing like 141 ones. Like just. Didn't he win? I think I saw results. He um, was I don't, up he, there. he won his class. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he didn't win overall. Um, okay. But still I think 14 he, he was on a He was on a flyer lap. It was the last lap. And he kept dropping time every, every session. Mm -hmm. uh, and every lap that session, too, was getting faster and faster. And then a uh, slower car. Um, kind of got in the way and wow. messed that lap up a little bit, but still, yeah. um, which he, he didn't even say anything about that car messing him up. So obviously pretty decent sportsman, uh, ship there. So, yeah. So, well, it's hard. It, there are an awful lot of good, good drivers now yeah. that you never hear of and probably never will. Yeah. And there are a few that you will, but it's so hard to, to sort of make it today as a professional that, you could be extremely good and still not get where you you know all of the all of the little variables have to fall in the line yeah so but now it, when you first started were there a lot of people that were wanting to drive and wanting to race uh as, as many as there are now or was it kind of a little bit smaller community it was way way smaller okay and the biggest reason it was smaller is because it was dangerous. Yeah. Way, way, way more dangerous than it is now. Oh, absolutely. And now, you know, back then, if you're, you wouldn't let your eight-year-old kid race. And now it's, now it's gotten to be a respectable profession if you could, you know, if you can do it. And parents are a lot more willing and uh, to, to sort of respect their kids. Yeah you know, desires and an awful lot of them are interested in racing. Back when I, I was in high school, I, I was in a class of 510 kids, I think. It's a I pretty big were, class. I think, yeah, that in my, my, in my senior year. And I think I was the only one that gave a damn about racing really, or even really had any awareness of it. And now, um, I don't think that would be the case in, in a, say a middle-class school, maybe in the, in a poverty area, it wouldn't occur to them. But, yeah. Um, I imagine at Beverly Hills High, there are a few potential racers. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, you know, I think uh, Chris and I are both a little bit younger than you are. 
um, <laughs> a couple of years, yeah, maybe just two or three. But I mean, I think that's for me. That's kind of what I grew up. You know, I grew up. My uncle raced uh, SCCA. Oh, okay. And just kind of grew up around that kind of stuff and started reading magazines. And he used to send me his old sport car magazines um, that, you know, SCCA was putting out. And that's kind of how, how I got hooked from an early age. What, what's your uncle's name? Uh, Bo Henry. Steve Henry. Um, Steve. Didn't race a whole lot. Just some small regional stuff out of Knoxville. Oh, Knoxville. Um, yep. Hey, there you go. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Sport car magazine right there. I think, too, that it's just more prevalent in culture now. Like, yeah. you have Gone in 60 Seconds is what got me into cars. I saw that when I was, like, 10, the remake oh, yeah? with Nicolas Cage. Yeah, yeah I, I so, love that movie. Yeah, but you look great. at how many movies now. It's just more in pop culture and mainstream culture, I think, than back then. Yeah, when. but that's about car stealing. Car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I don't do. <laughs> and then the Fast and the Furious, which killed the producer and and the creator i mean yeah. that the movie didn't but the that sort of community that he was engrossed in and that was you know that's not a race i saw the best ra anybody listening to your show here uh, i'm going to give it a plug i have no game in this no no dog in this fight it's just the best racing movie i've ever seen and very few people even know about it it's called um, Road, huh. R-O-A-D, Road. And it's motorcycles, but it, it's the most revealing sort of, um, oh, I don't want to, I don't know. It's the most revealing story that explain. it doesn't explain it, and so it isn't trying to explain anything. It just shows what the lifestyle was like it isn't like that now and it's only like that now in this form of racing it's it's motorcycle racing um at isle of man and oh wow and and other tracks in ireland but it it gives it's a real insight into the passion that real racing people have and what they'll do to do it yeah yeah you know i'll uh i'll have to check that out i think any of our listeners should you probably should. Go check it out too yeah way better than Le Mans are way better than than Grand Prix. Yeah, I mean, so they is were it good. a movie or is it a documentary? It's a documentary. Okay, but it it's better than if it was a movie. Cause, yeah, because it's true. It's and it's if you wrote the story as fiction, it wouldn't wouldn't be, be as good. Why well, wouldn't be believable? Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I definitely have to check that out now. Yeah. Is it on Netflix or? It was on Netflix. Was. I have it. Um, my daughter saw. My daughter's not a race fan. She's been around me for her whole life, right? And she has a feeling for racing, but she doesn't know. She doesn't go to races or been to a few, but she isn't a race fan. And she watched it four times and made me watch it. That's, wow! And then she bought it for me. Um, it wasn't for sale in this country. She ordered it from um, from England. Okay. What year was it made, John? Um. About 2013. Oh, wow. Maybe. Oh, so relatively so, new. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty new. Okay. I'm not sure. Of the. I've got it around here somewhere. I think it's in there. That's, that's always been a play bucket on my list TV. for me. I had to watch it on the computer. Oh, yeah. But I saw it at my daughter's house first. It worked on her TV, but it didn't work on mine. Oh, it might be a re a like a regionally encoded it's DVD. It's a format for right. some reason. Okay. Yeah, that's always been a bucket list of mine, actually, though, is to go to, to Isle of Man, like, it's something that I, I really want to do. Uh -huh. So I heard next year it's um, 
there's Isle of Man and there's another event like only a week a week apart. Oh wow! Uh, I'm trying to remember what event it was. Well, this but... movie ha- there are a lot of races over there, and they're open road races. They're not on tracks. Right. They're just races. Yeah. On roads that you would that scary enough just to ride a motorcycle fast on, let alone race. Race on. <laughs> so it's a it's a hairball sport, but it's still going. Yeah. Did you ever venture into any like motorcycle racing or anything like that? When I got to be uh, about sixty-eight, there was a dirt, there was a desert race close to my house in Utah. I have a house in Utah. Okay. And uh, so Sylvia and I rode out there to watch the race, and um, I saw a guy that watching the kids. You know, the the preliminaries were little little kids and big kids. And uh, but the big race uh, was coming up, and this guy was going to be in it, and he wasn't dressed with any fancy gear or anything, just obviously a helmet and some boots. But I said, "Are they are you going to race like that?" And he said, "Yeah." And I said, "Can I race?" And he said, "Yeah, if they've got enough room, only three hundred, <laughs> three hundred can awesome. start because it's a desert race, and the BLM will only allow three hundred bikes." Okay. So I went to this to the. Um, the officials and they said, "Yeah, we've got had some cancellations, so you can race." So I took <laughs> Sylvia. We were we had ridden out there. It was only like six miles from my house. Yeah, rode back, uh, took her, dropped her off, and got my, another bike and ran the race. And you doing like ran, a like ran, a dual sport or no? It was a, a an XR six hundred. Okay. And it was so heavy, I fell so many times, I, and it was so hard to pick up <laughs> that Sylvia bought me a, a, a CRF250X because it was oh, really? easier to pick downgrade, up. And then I, I ran it every year for about eight years. <laughs> okay. Always in that same Until I got in, this, in my you know, mid-70s. Okay. Or clo- yeah, almost mid-70s yeah. When, I, when I haven't done it. I could do it again this year because they have a 70, over 70 class now, and they didn't have it before. So I might do it again, but I haven't been practicing much. Be a good movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I, movie. I, I vote yes. If I vote yes. I don't want to come back at John Morton. My movie to end like <laughs> like Ray. Oh. <laughs> so no, that's that's one thing. Talking to a lot of uh, a lot of people that have have been around motorsport for a long time, there's there's something about the draw of all motorsports. Um, you know, no matter the discipline, that everybody seems to have an appreciation for. Um, you know, it's uh, I don't know if it's the adrenaline or just motors or what. I think everybody has their their own different reason. But it's it's always been interesting to me that, you know, most of the time you don't find somebody that's only interested in one type of motorsport and that's it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there I, I watch all the NASCAR races. I watch the Formula One races. Um, I don't watch the drag races. I watch the Supercross which season, which starts pretty soon. The only kind of racing I don't watch regularly are sports cars. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I just, you know, I just, I feel kind of like I should be doing it, so I'm not going to watch it because I'm not yeah. doing it. But I know I'm interested in all, in all that stuff. Yeah. You know, funnily enough, I don't watch a whole lot of sports car racing either. I think it's because I get a little jealous. Uh, I'll watch like the highlights, but I don't want to sit there and watch the whole race because I do. I think I do get jealous. Yeah. You know, it's like, man, I want to be doing that. And then I just start start getting in a bad mood. I'm like, oh, I could be doing that. Maybe yeah. 
if I change some things. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. going back to the point you guys made earlier, though, is that I think there's something to learn in every discipline. Like I started off in autocross, and I think with autocross, what that teaches you, you only get about three or four runs, so you have to be right on the money when you pull right. up to the line. And that lap has to come really, really quickly. Uh, endurance racing, when they pulled me out, that was the first time I've ever driven on a, a proper racetrack. And uh, Bruce Mills, the team owner, flew me out. No time in the car, no time on the track. Uh, Steve O'Hara, an Atlantic driver on the team, just said, oh, you'll be fine. Just come out and drive. And I showed up and, you, you know, the autocross background within five or six laps, you know, the track and where all the apexes are and the endurance racing. You really hone the consistency factor right. for sure. And that was uh, Trump Car stuff, right? Yeah, we're doing, okay. uh, what's the other, Lucky Dog? Lucky Dog, yeah. yeah. And I, I just put a plug in for Chris. He did so well, I was shocked. Yeah. I thought he'd do okay, but he did. He did he's very good. The only thing that I think is missing Uh-oh. is Uh-oh. he's not eaten up by it. Like, you almost have to be, to you know, you have to not think about anything else. Yeah. And and it's hard to do, and you can't survive doing it unless you have another method of of income. Yeah, but <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> it, you have to be totally focused, and you know, and you can't. It's not a. It's not. A, it can be a game. It can be a hobby. But it, if you want to get sort of to a high level, it's you got to be. It's got to ruin your life. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you have to you have to take you some got, risks. You got an extra room, John? <laughs> yeah, right. start, I'll work here and uh, I'll just go racing all the time. That sounds great. No, yeah. I uh, when I got back from the NASA <laughs> national championships in 2012, I had two hundred dollars in my bank account, and then ended up having to like I actually sold some parts off the car before the event, and just prayed that I didn't wreck <laughs> so that I could yeah. actually deliver those parts. But I had to pay rent, so yeah. I've since learned that maybe that wasn't the smartest thing to do, but I don't regret any of it. Yeah. Well, I I don't regret anything. I regret a few things I've done. I don't mean that. But, I mean, I don't regret that this is what I stuck with. Not because I've been horribly successful. I've had some success, but I don't think I knew how to do anything else. Yeah. I don't know what else I would have done. Um. I'm not exactly stupid, but, but you know, I'm not exactly the, capable of doing a lot of things. I don't think I can work on cars a little bit. But it looks I, like Sylvia know, begs to differ a little on. bit. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that goes back to to the point you made earlier, where the access when you were doing it was just so much quicker. I mean, now, like you said, like a 14 year old kid with a Lamborghini. Like, who ever would have been talking about that in the 60s or 70s you know like a 16 year old with a gto yeah so well the closest i can remember to a kid was he wasn't a hero i was so jealous of him because we were the same that we were two days apart and he was racing and uh, i was when i first saw him race i was in high school and he was racing at meadowdale in a porsche spider and uh he was really good. And then he, uh, he he was from a wealthy Mexican family. And he ran in the sports car races, you know, Le Mans, Sebring, when he's a kid. And 
and I really admired what he did, but I was so jealous because we were the same age, and then he got killed when he was 21, mm. Ricardo wow. Rodriguez. Hmm. So um, that was the only kid that I think in that era that was really a kid. Oh, really? That was that was outstanding. Um, he was a qualified second in the in the in the uh, Italian Grand Prix when he was twenty one. Wow. No, I know when he was twenty. He got was killed when he was twenty huh. in, in Mexico at the Formula One race. So, it because of the danger, there weren't a lot of kids doing it. A lot of kids racing go karts because when I started racing go karts and when I was had to be eighteen because they had invented them when when I was young. But I raced them when I was 18, and there are a lot of pe younger people racing them, a lot of kids, but I don't know any of them that actually became, you know, that didn't just do it for a while and yeah. stop. So I suppose there are, but now almost all of the professionals came out of go-karts. Yeah. So were you racing carts in the Chicago area when you were up there, or...? I raced carts in the first races I did were in Savannah, Georgia. Oh, I'm really? A place called Tybee Island. Yeah. You know Tybee? Yeah. Yeah. They had a they had a racetrack. There's a lighthouse at Tybee that used to, you know, signal ships right at the mouth of the Savannah River, and they'd come down to Savannah. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's so I. They had a cart track there called Tybee Light Cart Cart Stadium, right at the foot of the of the lighthouse. I didn't know that. And I raced carts there for the that would have been the summer of nineteen sixty. Okay. And then I got another cart, sixty one and sixty two, uh, that I raced in the, the Illinois because I actually lived in Illinois. I went to college in South Carolina at Clemson. Oh, really? That's where my mom went. Oh, she did. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, so, that was. Uh, I raced jalopies there. I bought a jalopy, and first car I ever raced that was really a car was a forty Ford that I bought, and uh, pretty much ended my. In, in essence, it ended my college career. I <laughs> kept going, but I was only interested in the car and racing. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I think I was at college for two weeks before I bought this car, <laughs> and I didn't tell my parents. I bought it with, you know, movie money. Yeah, uh, it was only forty forty six dollars forty three dollars. Man, and that's all the money I had. <laughs> and uh, worth it. A lot of movies. Totally yeah. worth it. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was, yeah. We raced in uh, uh, Seneca, South Carolina. Had a little track. We ran Westminster and then ran at Greenwood. Okay. Now, were you guys trailering the cars to those events, <laughs> no. or did you just um, drive them? No, we flat towed it. Okay. Yeah, you know, actually, so many of the things that you're talking about now, it reminds me of, uh, have you ever heard of Burt Levy? The, you know, he uh, writes the I've books, had, he's been The Last here. Open Road. He's been in this house okay. lots of times. Okay. Um, two or three times. And yeah, hearing you tell these stories, it, it reminds me a lot of the different characters in those in books. In his book, yeah. 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 Well, he sells Sylvia's book, and he, he sells my book, too, in his I mean, he tries to sell his first, but if they're not <laughs> look interested, then he sell, he'll sell ours. Yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't had the opportunity to, uh, to meet him, um, but we are friends on Facebook. He's a good guy. <laughs> he really is. I'm not on Facebook, but um, no, he's, he's a little, little bit of a windbag on Facebook. I yeah. mean, on his, 
you know, when he puts out his <laughs> his newsletter or whatever you call it. But no, he's a good guy. Once a writer, always a writer, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's got a got a good following. Yeah. You know, I uh, I think I found those books like 2010 or so. Uh-huh. I know they've probably been around longer than that. Um, but I was instantly captivated by by the story. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. So you guys have have books as well. Do you want to uh, to tell us about those? Well, Sylvia should tell you about them because she's really a she's written twenty twenty six books, I think. Okay. Wow. I think that's more. That's she's written more books than I've actually read in my life. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you want to take them? Yeah. When when I met Morton, um, I, I was doing a book on him. Oh, really? Yeah. And at the time. I think the extent of his reading had been Herman the Brave Pig. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, she did a story. She did a book on our the Dotson team, the two years that we were running in the Trans Am. Okay, and that's how I got to know her, and obviously got to know her pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she, but she's a novelist. She's written seven novels. Oh wow. And I think she's working on that one now, but she won't tell me <laughs> what it is. But they're not about, only one of them was about racing. She's done some non-racing books, too. She did a history of stock car racing called Dirt Tracks to Glory, which is a really good book if you're interested in stock car racing yeah. and the history of it. And then... Um, I did a lot of kids' books. Oh, yeah? Yeah, in, in, the, uh, in the 70s. I uh, worked for the people who, you remember the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drews? Yeah. I worked for that syndicate. Oh, really? Doing a, a book, a series. And uh, they gave me my name. My name was Eric Speed because <laughs> you couldn't really be a woman and succeed in that business. Like the Franklin W. Dixon who wrote the Hardy Boys was most of the time a woman. Really? Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. So by by, by the 80s, I did a series using my name. Okay. Uh on on cars, huh. so I, I've done sixteen juveniles on cars. Really? Wow, I might have to check those out. <laughs> yeah, the one she did on our, on our the Dotson team was called Stainless Steel Carrot. Huh? It's and been reprinted uh, as a benefit for animals. Okay. So now, if anybody buys it, it's got the price is John's car number. $46. You could get it off his website, and, and the entire $46 goes for uh, animal rescue oh, wow, that's and wild great. animal funds. Okay. So you've been you've been around racing for quite a while, too, it, it kind of sounds like. John You know, John was telling me that you used to do some timing um, back in the, the manual timing days. Oh, yeah. That was a, it was kind of a clever thing I came up with. It was a way to have an income. Plus somebody to pay my way to the races. Okay. So I could go with John to the races because it, you know, it's very expensive to travel. Yeah. So I set up a timing and scoring business, and frequently I worked for teams that had a lot more money than John's teams. <laughs> <laughs> like I worked for the uh, Paul Newman team, the Can Am team, and and I worked for Bobby Rahal's IndyCar team. Oh wow. So one year I did I did thirty some races in one year. So it was a bit. It that's, was a busy job. That's a lot. Back yeah. Before they had had computers, but when computers came along, I'm, you know, I was kind of like the horse and buggy then, <laughs> dinosaur. No, no one needed me anymore. Now Chris was telling me that at one point you were able to time twenty five cars at once. Yeah, yeah, that was sort of standard. Um, really? 
Yeah, it was difficult on really short tracks. Uh, Yeah, I I can imagine. (laughs) (laughs) It was very hard at Indianapolis because the lap times were so short. And also, all you could see were helmets going by. You really couldn't even see the whole car. You weren't allowed to have a timing stand high enough because you would block the spectators' view. So I had to work in the pits. And uh, no, and it was a it was a pretty it was an interesting job. I did Le Mans a number of times, Daytona, the twenty four hour races by myself. Wow, the whole race. So it was it was a challenging job. Yeah, I can I can imagine. (laughs) And you know what? Everybody all the first question they always ask. When they know she times, uh, times and scores twenty-four hour races, they ask her how she pees, <laughs> and the answer is she doesn't. <laughs> That's a a special skill there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If she went, if she went to take a bathroom break, the the lap chart would be worthless. Yeah, and you can't trust anybody else. No. I mean, there's so few people you can trust to take your place. Judy Stropas, who's a uh, the secretary of the Road Racing Drivers Club now, was was a, a timer as well, and the two the two of them are the two best in in the country, but they're both the two best dinosaurs now because they're, <laughs> they're not necessary. Yeah, we would split the field at Le Mans. Oh, really? And you know, fifty some cars, and yeah. we, we would split the field. Wow, that is. Absolutely insane. I I can't even I can't even really fathom that to be honest. Well, the the difficult part is well, there are a lot of difficult parts. I mean, you're you're timing something that's moving very rapidly, and you can't miss any of them, and you're doing it very frequently in very bad weather. Big rooster tails coming off the tires when it's raining, but uh, you have to subtract to get the lap time. You're doing it as a continual time, and you stop. And you're just it doing the splits, car. but not only do you have to subtract, you have to convert it. Huh? When you do the subtraction, so okay. it's it's yeah. You have to go from base ten to base six. Base yeah. You yeah. borrow. You have to add you sixty seconds. Yeah. 60 it's like a different. Seconds. That's a different math, right yeah, there. Yeah, you, you really screw up your checkbook after you've done it for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean uh, that's that's something that's always been interesting to me was that back then when everything was manual. Um, you know, that there was so much going on behind the scenes. Not not saying there's not a lot going on behind the scenes now, but it seemed like there was so much more human involvement to make everything work back then. Yeah, uh, you're, you're right. Now. And and you're not just like with timing in my little world. I wasn't just timing the cars. I was picking out what I needed to tell my crew chief and writing it on a stick note and passing it down to him. I was part of the, the planning of the team, and I was part of the, the pit stops when we were going to come in. And, huh. And I had to notice when a co-driver was faster than than another driver and, and all those things. And I had to keep track of the race within the race. So you're like the original data acquisition system. Yeah, but, you know, it <laughs> was, I had to do the sorting. And when the first computers came on the scene, my crew chief didn't like them because he, they didn't sort the stuff out for him. It was just all the information piling on him at once. Nobody was telling him what was important. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can see how that could be quite frustrating, you know, coming from, you know, essentially having a consultant that was telling him everything to a computer just spitting out numbers. Um, there's a lot that's lost. Yeah, and there's, sometimes there's just too much information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, you, you see a version of it if you watch stock car races um, because they're usually, you know, 
more 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 often than not they're 500 mile races lots of pit stops lots of cautions and and you i have a tremendous amount of respect for the crew chiefs like chad canaus he's you know pretty he's so good at what he does and and all of the top ones are but it the pressure is would have to be incredible yeah. i'd much rather be the driver yeah it's like the the crew chief is almost like the head coach of like a football team. And yeah. The driver is like the quarterback, and then, yeah, it's you know. like it's like he is the coach, really. Yeah, and planning all the moves. I mean, the driver drives as fast as he can, and you know sometimes he has to coast a little bit to save fuel, and that sort of thing. But it's it's something that that um, that's kind of unique to stock car racing, and it, it's interesting. Yeah. So there's uh, again, there's a lot of moving parts. You know, in a in a team that a lot of people just don't realize. Yeah, I so. want to ask John a question really quick. Yeah. Uh, how much do you think? Do you think the technologies made race cars easier to drive? I don't think they're. E you know, if I I get to drive a lot of different cars, and like three, and like five weeks ago, I got to drive a 1954 Formula One car that was a very <laughs> successful car in its day, and it was easy to drive. I don't think I could drive a, a modern Formula One car. I'm, no. not, I'm not. I'm not technical enough to even know how the steering wheel works. I mean, I know left and right. I know that, but I mean, they've got <laughs> buttons, and you, you know, they, they tell the driver to, to go to program two or program three or do yeah. this and do that, and he's doing it with a steering wheel that's that costs you know ten thousand dollars. <laughs> and I think the technical part would be very hard to draw, to to deal with. Um, the mechanical part, not so much. I don't think it'd be much different in some ways easier because they don't have to learn how to shift even. They just yeah. push buttons or flip <laughs> paddles or what. They, they, there's an art. To the, well, there's an art. There's a skill involved in shifting. It's not a difficult skill, but it's a skill they don't even deal with. Right. So in that sense, it's easier in the, in the highly technical stuff that they don't, I don't, you know, drivers used to be mechanics. They say the best drivers knew the car intimately. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was necessarily true, but they said that. Uh, now, I don't think the drivers have to know the car at all. They just have to know the, you know, how to deal with all the software stuff. And yeah. It's a whole, it's a whole different world. Yeah. You know, it seems like the uh, the limits of the vehicles are a lot higher than they were, obviously, when you started out. But you've also been driving for a long time. I mean, wh what do you think of the progression of the limits of vehicles and things like that and technology that you've you've experienced throughout the years? Um, you know, I used I I happened to just by by happenstance or luck, I was involved in the Can-Am series, the five liter Can-Am series when the ground effects started to come into play. Okay. And that made a big difference. That that was a kind of a difficult period for drivers, I think, because the cars became unnaturally fast. Yeah. And you had to almost get a different mindset and what you know, fast what used to be fast wasn't, you know, there were no G loads and you in the cars back in the back in the 50s 60s and and uh, well the 50s and the 60s relatively low g loads that wasn't a big factor but then it became a huge factor uh, when ground effects started and right. wi and wings wings to begin with and then when it got really sophisticated 
the cars just went so fast that it took a real commitment. Yeah. Can can you remember your first time driving with any aerodynamics? You know, coming from a you know a, a car that you know may have had no aero or very little. Well, all cars have aero, but aero modifications. Yeah, I know. Um, enhanced. Yeah. Um, well, I could. If I thought back, I could probably think of which car it was, but I I don't really remember my. Okay. You know, the, the, back when they had wings, like the can early Can Am cars, and then even the later ones until ground effect uh, really came. Uh, into play there wasn't as much difference okay like a when indy started having wings the top speeds went from you know the lap times at indy you know they, they exceeded 200 miles an hour pretty quickly average for a lap and uh and they've now they're only you know they're like 225 and at one time they went way over they went up close to 240 and all of that was aerodynamics and uh, and they, they they pull back the rules a little bit and try to get the speeds lower because um, I don't know they got too fast almost. yeah you know they got dangerously fast yeah so um, I I don't I wish they'd take a lot of that away I think it would make the racing better the the reason Formula One cars don't pass each other is because of aerodynamics because the aerodynamics are so good yeah. They can't get close. The braking distances are so so short. There's no you can't outbrake anybody. Are very difficult, and then when you get close to them, you lose your air, your downforce. And that it used to happen in Formula Five Thousand, which is with the wing with wings when there was no there was no ground effects as su ground effect as such. You get close to a car, and 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 it very hard to get by because your your front down the car turns goes into a huge push understeer um, and that's the way formula one is indie cars when they race same thing not so much stock cars they have other aerodynamic nuances that that are different yeah yeah you know it's it's always been interesting to me too just kind of over the years how sanctioning organizations will kind of um modify the performance of the vehicles to try and level the field uh but sometimes it actually makes for for racing that's not as interesting so it's one thing that's it always seems to be a little a little frustrating at times yeah i would think so i mean yes i do think so they they didn't used to do that in the old days you were in a class that's what you you did and the scca started trying to put cars in classes that equaled their performance rather than their engine display used to be engine displacement mm -hmm. 1600 cc 1500 cc over 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 two liter under two liter that sort of thing and then they started saying you know that's not working very well because some of the cars are just that much better than others so they took they they started messing with the uh you know the classes to put say a triumph with a with a Datsun with a Lotus with a with a Corvette, which they they did back in the kind of silly racing a Lotus Seven against a Corvette, <laughs> but performance was reasonably close, and that's how they did it. And now in the, like NASCAR, they they did they used to mess with the different manufacturers a little bit, and I don't think they don't do that because the cars are all basically spec cars now. Yeah, different. You know, one's got a. Toyota shape <laughs> grill, and the yeah. other one's got a Ford or a Chevy. Yeah. Huh.
That'll do it for part one of our interview with John Morton, Chris Hurst, and Sylvia Wilkinson. Please tune in next Tuesday for part two. If you enjoy the show, please share it with a friend. You can also find us at our home on the web at www.tracktune.com slash show. And you can also leave us reviews and ratings in the iTunes store. We'll see you guys next week.